Hi everyone, welcome back to part 30 of the Anti-Hate Conversation series. For our first-time podcast listeners, I'm your host, Mariam, the Anti-Hate Initiatives Project Manager here at Council of Agencies Serving South Asians. And for this week, I will be handing it off to our project associate, Akila to moderate this conversation. Hi everyone, so my name is Mariam and I'm the Anti-Hate Initiatives Project Manager at Council of Agencies Serving South Asians. Um, we're actually here with three of my coworkers and other CASA staff, so I'll go ahead and let them introduce themselves as well. Okay, yeah, um, I'll start I'll start us off. My name's Sakshi and at CASA, I'm the Communications Coordinator. So I work closely with promotional materials and member agencies to help promote projects. Okay, I can go next. Um, my name is Iman and I work on the Racial Equity Education Project at CASA um, and I am the Community Outreach Coordinator. And hi everyone, my name is Akila. I am the Anti-Hate Project Associate and Social Media Coordinator for CASA. I will also be moderating our discussion today and we are going to play our newly made game, Reflect to Connect. So I wanted to just give a quick introduction about what this game is about. Um, so this game offers a space to reflect on our identities and biases through personal experiences and navigating the online world. It's inspired by the card game, We're Not Really Strangers, and our questions hope to spark connections between people by encouraging open dialogue and vulnerability. So the rules of this game are very simple. There are three levels and we start with level one and we make sure everyone in our group answers all the questions before moving on to the next level. For the purpose of this podcast, we're just going to be doing a couple of questions from each of the levels, but um, I hope that it just creates like thoughtful discussion and we can just have fun with what we do. So the first level is self-reflection. The second one is reflecting on relationships and the third is reflecting globally. Um, remember to have a focus on empathetic communication with others to allow for a safe space. And most importantly, just be your authentic self and listen and learn from others. So I wanted to start us out with our first question today, which is growing up, how are you taught by parents, by teachers, by elders, etc., about people who were different from you? And how are you taught about people who were similar to you? Does anyone want to start us off with an answer? I can start. Um, so this is Mariam again. Uh, I just wanted to uh, kind of reflect a little bit about on my own like upbringing. When I was reading this question, I was thinking about how I had a pretty sheltered upbringing in the sense that I kind of went to um, I went to school in Dubai for most of my life, um, and I was around people who looked like me, who dressed like me, and so I didn't. I wasn't as socially conscious as I would say I am now, um, and so. I was never um, overtly taught about people who were different than me. I could just hear it in passing, for example, about um, different countries in the subcontinent. So I'm Pakistani and um, the only way that I would, the, the focus was on being Pakistani and like any other country in the subcontinent was kind of always spoken about um, 
in almost inferior terms. Um, and I never really noticed it until I grew up and I kind of reflected on that. So for me, it was never a work discussion about different nationalities or anything like that. It was always like discussions my parents were having with others, or if there was a cricket match happening, then you would hear a lot about the subcontinent and how, um, you know, what cricket teams were better. And, and in that you would hear conversation around um, politics and how like, Indian politics were different from Pakistani politics and which country was better. And um, and so that kind of like when I grew up, I was like, that was really messed up because like no one would outwardly talk about it, but everyone would have these discussions that we would be privy to and we would just hear in passing. And so it was never a holistic way about of thinking about anyone that was different than you. And I think um, that that kind of is problematic as well. When we grow up, we think about how can we consciously um, have these conversations instead of just like having like random conversations that people are hearing and not having the full picture of. That's a really good point. And I think it's, it's so true, especially because we were growing up with a generation of elders who were not necessarily privy to all of the information we have now about, you know, anti-racism education and how to teach our children about that or teach or communicate with other people about that. And I like how you mentioned that sometimes you heard things that were kind of messed up from people from like elders or people that we respect, because I think personally for me, um, being raised by um, a family of immigrants, uh, I think we often fell into the trap of stereotyping a lot of other people based on maybe say like cultural identity. Um, and so by this, I think when we were taught about people who were different from us, there was kind of always some kind of underlying distrust in people from out groups, whereas there is a lot more trust for people from in groups. And it wasn't an explicit thing because in general, you're always taught to respect people no matter what their gender is, their cultural identity, et cetera. But at the same time, there is always this underlying feeling like, you know, you should be, you should trust people who are more similar to you versus people who are dissimilar to you. Um, Sakshi or Iman, can you um, speak to that maybe as well? Did you have similar experiences? Um, yeah, I think I could definitely connect my experiences to what Miriam just said. Although I think for me, it's interesting to know that like at a younger age, these experiences were so different than, you know, as we grow up and we see more of like a focus on these differences between people. Like um, personally for me growing up, my mom had probably the most influence in learning about people who were different from me. She would say something along the lines of, you know, everybody is someone's daughter and everybody is someone's son, just like yourself. So why wouldn't they deserve the same respect as you? And that's kind of the mindset that I grew up with um, in my household um, to kind of look past the surface and treat people in that common ground. But I think, you know, as Miriam said, um, as we grow up, we definitely see more of this focus on our differences and segregation and how those type of um, things come into play. Um, but I think for me, at least my parents and my mom were, were like the biggest influence to me. And like, I always had that sort of mindset that um, instead of focusing on these differences, whether people seem different or the same to me, rather treating them more so as people who are just like Yeah, that's, thank you for sharing that. Um, I'm just going to jump in with 
my own experience because I think it can relate to all of you um, in different ways. Um, I would say I had a childhood that like allowed me different experiences. Um, I went to a private Islamic middle school um, and then a public high school. So I was actually able to experience the various educational communities. Um, and uh, studying at the Islamic school, I mean, I was surrounded by people who were similar to me, same religion, um, a lot of the same ethnicity and people who look like me. Um, so that was definitely a lot more sheltered. Um, and then when I did uh, go to high school, um, and it was so different, um, less rigid, less, um, there are people from all types of backgrounds, and um, there was definitely a certain uh, uncomfortableness uh, for me in the beginning, where I was like, where am I? Like, what am I doing here? Um, and how do I find my place um, in this wider world? Um, and I think that that opportunity to feel uncomfortable and to feel kind of different um, really afforded me a lot of uh, learning and a lot of ways to grow and kind of realize that that everyone around me should be treated with respect and kindness specifically you know regardless of what race gender class ability they had um, and as for influences I think uh, I was raised in a Muslim household raised with Islamic principles um, and for me, at least that that really centered around respect and kindness. Um, so something that always stuck to me was my mom would tell me about um, this hadith or uh, saying in Islam uh, that narrates that the Prophet Muhammad um, was sitting at a place in Medina and a funeral procession passed by. He stood up to show his respects and one of his companions remarked that the funeral was for someone of Jewish faith. So the Prophet said, was he not a human? And that kind of always stuck to me because regardless of religion, um, regardless of, of faith and race and gender, like the, the ideals that I grew up with is that everyone is a human. And like, those are a lot of the ideals that we see centered today, especially in this day and age where there is so much division and segregation. I think that that's one thing that really grounds me. Um, so that was one of my, my um, influences. Wow, thank you so much, everyone, for sharing. Those were such beautiful, amazing, thoughtful answers. Um, I wanted to move on to our next question, which is still in uh, our first level of self-reflection. And this question is, what are the rules you abide by when engaging with content on social media? Uh, what boundaries do you set for yourself? Does anyone want to start us off with this question? I can go first. I can go first for sure. So uh, for me, I think when it comes to rules that I abide by when engaging on, with content on social media, um, I tend to, I like, I see a lot of things that I'm very passionate about on social media, especially when it comes to social issues or um, social activism. I think those are things that are really important for me to engage with on social media. But at the same time, I think over the years, some rules that I've kind of set for myself are to not necessarily engage with people who are looking to start an argument or fight about these topics that I'm passionate about. Um, I try to monitor how I react to things that I encounter online and not allow whatever my reaction is to necessarily guide my actions. And I think this was a kind of a hard process to learn because there's, you always wanna be able to have educational conversations with people. And like, if somebody is genuinely asking to learn about something that you're talking about, I think you can definitely tell in the difference between that versus someone who wants to um, start an argument or a troll. Um, so I think setting a lot of those boundaries with myself about 
how I react to things and how I want to portray that on social media. And also just knowing when is the right time to engage and when is not is something that I kind of learned throughout my years of um, engaging with content online. Uh, more so than that, just boundaries I set for myself. I think I try not to post as much about uh, intimate moments, but rather just be fully present in that moment. And I think that's something I've started to uh, to do a lot as I grow older. Um, and yeah, I think just not putting as much of a, like not centering social media in my life as much as I probably previously did as a kid. Um, and those have definitely helped in my mental health, um, the way I operate throughout the day and just how much attention or prioritization I give to social media in my life in general. Yeah, thanks for, for sharing that, Akila, because I definitely agree with um, the rule setting for yourself where you just have to know when to engage and when not to engage. Um, mm -hmm. And that it definitely, uh, I relate that relate to that because in terms of boundaries, I had to sort of force myself to take time off of social media, specifically during the 2016 election, um, during COVID, specifically like news sites. And just, I we live in a world where we just constantly are, assaulted with like information and news about what's going on in the world and it has its pros um, but it can definitely affect your mental health um, and I found that when it was affecting me uh, in ways where I was just constantly thinking about everything that's going on in wherever area of the world and just kind of felt like all gloom and doom um, that's kind of where I had to step back and and kind of center myself into real life uh, because social media um, and the internet in general can often be like a vacuum it just sucks you in um, so you have to kind of know when to engage and when not to engage, just like Akila mentioned, um, you gotta, you gotta know, uh, whether a comment section of a particular news story is actually looking to, um, display different perspectives or if they're just trolls, like you got, you have to really know, um, and kind of recognize when you yourself need a break. Um, so that's, I guess that's one thing for me that I learned that I can't just constantly be on social media and be taking in all the information without giving myself time to process it. Yeah, I think um, you brought up a really good point, Iman. Like I think the last year, especially social media has touched upon us like in so many different ways. And um, I also remember myself taking a break from all my social media channels for at least a couple month, months, just because there were so many issues um, happening around the world that were, you know, hard hitting, that were very close to home. So um, that that during that time, it definitely warranted like the need for like a little bit of a break from social media. And I think it also brought up the idea of realizing that social media really is not the whole story. And by just, you know, seeing um, a small network of things that you follow um, is it, it could really burden you in ways that you don't expect. And then I think the other aspect of what you said, Iman, was also just following good online etiquette. Like, I think that's what I learned over the last year, being more mindful of what type of content I let in in my life and also how I engage with others that are sharing stuff on social media, whether it's related to activism or just their own perspective. So um, comes back to the idea that Akila mentioned of like realizing when to respond and when not to respond. Um, a lot of things are not black and white situations. There's no right or wrong answer. But I think I really learned that um, 
for certain things, like when it comes to misinformation and stuff like that, that those are times when I would want to um, react or like, you know, better inform other individuals. But aside from that, there's always that play of perspectives that we need to consider on social media so that we're um, communicating empathetically and not harming anybody either. I think everyone kind of touched on the the kind of boundaries that I also try to impose on myself when I'm like engaging on social media. Um, and I think this is a great conversation because we all seem to kind of turn to the same um, coping mechanisms when we're like overwhelmed in social media. We are careful about like who we follow. Like I, I remember I went on like an unfollowing spree because I just felt so overwhelmed by all the all the constant um, like consumption of content that wasn't meaningful in any way. Uh, it was just kind of draining me. And I don't think we realize how much just scrolling through our feeds and like our timelines can, is also, an, is also something that our brain is like consuming and that's also really draining. So I think that was, that's something that I tried to like do was like unfollow people that were just kind of disturbing my peace or I wasn't really like engaging in any meaningful way, um, which is not always easy to do because like you, you want to, be on top of the trends and what's happening and and it, it can also be difficult to detach yourself but I think that really helped like just unfollowing people um that I didn't really like that I was just following for the sake of it um and just like Akila mentioned like engaging more meaningfully with content um and not feeling like I have to give my opinion on every single thing that's been happening because I used to do that at one point and it was just like I, I was getting like burnt burnt out just just because I was like constantly engaging all the time and like realizing that there's a time and place always to engage in social media um and I just wanted to I didn't get a chance but I wanted to also like I wanted to say that to Iman that like your last answer the last question was really great because like I had similar experience about how um, Islamic principles were really instrumental from my parents and my teachers um, when I was growing up and those would those would always be like direct and overt and we were always taught them explicitly um, and so that's something that I also um, really relate to but yeah um, I think it's really interesting how we all um, set boundaries for ourselves on social media and how we recognize that we need to set boundaries and that it's not that it's that it does have an impact on our well-being yeah i i was just gonna say there's a lot of overlap in our answers and i think what iman and sakshi were saying just acknowledging how the past two years have been such a heavy time to be on social media and just constantly paying witness to everything that's happening in the world can be extremely overwhelming. So I'm really glad that all of us in our small ways have taken the steps to, you know, make sure that we're okay to prioritize our mental health. And I hope that anyone who's listening to this podcast can maybe take away some of those points too, because it is really important to step away and just look at how we prioritize social media in our lives. So really interesting thoughts, guys. Um, I wanted to move us into our next section, uh, which is level two of our game, which is reflecting on relationships. The first question I have for you guys from this section is, what does communicating with empathy look like? How do we practice empathy in challenging conversations, especially online? I can start by answering this question, actually. So I think communicating with empathy in general looks like active listening, validating the other person's feelings, uh, letting them know that it's okay to sit with that feeling. Uh, it also kind of looks like not giving advice unless asked, but rather understanding that a person should be allowed the space to work throughout 
their own feelings in whatever form that takes. Um, I also think that I find it's really hard to show true empathy when communicating online because a lot of a lot of how I do that personally in real life through um, communicating with eyes, through body language, um, your tone of voice is kind of lost in translation when communicating with other people online. Um, and so because of this online, I try to use my words really carefully in conversations and also just check in with a person throughout the conversation to make sure they're okay. So sometimes for me, this looks like asking, hey, are you still comfortable with having this conversation? I just wanted to check if you're okay or something like, hey, if this is a moment where you would like me to give advice, let me know, or would you rather I just listen? So I find that um, this can be really helpful by asking these questions to show that you're putting in effort to understand the other person's feelings first and making an active effort to communicate with empathy. Um, does anybody else want to kind of jump in and tell us how you try to communicate with empathy, especially online? Yeah, for sure. I can go next. Um, uh, you said it really well, Akila. Communicating with empathy right now is a bigger challenge when you're online than it was ever before. And I think it's harder when you fall into that trap of, you know, trying to measure others up to your standards when you're communicating on social media. So it could really create like an incline of um, judgment without mindfulness of others' perspectives. Um, and then there's that idea of when you're communicating with those you work with, friends or family, it's harder to just understand or gauge how friends and friends, friends and family are doing in a virtual environment. So um, in terms of communicating with empathy, it's even more important now to check in with others online, be attentive to the conversation, actively listen, as you said, be sensitive and genuinely try to understand things from another from the other person's point of view, because you have that missing aspect of not being able to see a person's body language, which is practically half of the way we communicate. So not being able to see or gauge um, a person's body language and intention can often be misinterpreted in, misinterpreted in virtual settings. So active listening, I think, is really the biggest um, way to communicate with empathy now. Yeah, you guys made some you, really good points. Um, I think while I was listening to um, what the points you mentioned, uh, what stood out for me um, and what I, I guess my like my core um, rule that I use when engaging with empathy online is just taking into consideration that the tweet, the comment, the post that you're engaging with was posted by a real person with a real life and real struggles that you know nothing of. Um, and I think that that really um is seen in, in all the points that you guys have made because it's it's very simple but to like to think about but it's very easy to forget that um, a lot of the content that we engage with online is put out there by real people and when you are face to face with someone that doesn't get lost that doesn't really get lost in translation their their movements their body language but online it can just be um, so isolating and you don't really realize that this is like a real person with real feelings, unless you're constantly reminding yourself. Um, and I think it's so important to remember that you lose nothing by taking the time to engage empathetically with others and give them that respect, but you gain so much by just giving them that respect that the same respect you would give to someone face-to-face. -face. Like a lot of people mention that um, the 
yeah, anonymity and like the the um, the individual uh, kind of atmosphere of social media makes us forget that like this is this is a real person, and it's very easy to let the the anger, the frustration, and maybe like the the darker parts of yourself kind of out because you don't have anything to lose when you're posting something. Um, no one knows who you are if you have like an anonymous account, um, and they can't really. You don't face consequences like immediately when you're posting something um, full of hate and full of uh, a lot of that like anti-racism, uh, sorry, racism things, and it's just so important to remember that that even though it's happening through um through like a, a way that we can't see someone face to face that it's definitely there's still people real people behind the screens so i think you brought up like a great point at the very end and i'm wondering now if our um the way we communicate with empathy changes if the person on the other end knows who we are so like um, like Sasha brought up coworkers at one point and now that we're like it's so virtual and everything is virtual and everything is through email um, that is like room for miscommunication right and I was, I was I remember this thread that I was reading about how like women in the workplace um, tend to have more flowery emails and um, like you know men are like very straight to the point or like they'll be very like um, you know like just tell you what they want and that'll be the end of it and and honestly it made me wonder like why we look down on like one way of communicating when it takes nothing away from us just to be kinder or like just to be more um excited or engaged in our emails you know what I mean like I, I don't know why that's such a bad thing and I and I don't think we should try to like move away from that like if if, if you have a, a way of typing or a way of communicating you don't need to remove that just to seem more authoritative or just to seem more um you know like intimidating like why why is this something that we aspire to so I think that's also a really important thing to think about um and there's nothing wrong with um being you know kind or going out of your way to like say a nice thing to someone to a coworker through email um and I think for me like like Akila mentioned that body language is really important in real life and for me that looks like just sending a quick one sentence dm to someone who's posted something on their instagram story for example so that they don't feel alone in that moment when they're sharing something or when they're talking about something so that they actually feel like someone is listening on the other end um even if it's very something very small just to acknowledge right that can be as simple as just having one word um answers or a one one liner um and i think uh, we have to remember like iman said like these things like these these are people right the, the they don't just exist in a vacuum. Um, they have what we say online does have consequences in person. Um, and we don't know how how um, something can make someone feel. And so why not go the extra mile in that case? Yeah, I, I really love that point. And I think the topic of the desensitization that happens to all of us through social media could be a podcast episode on its own because it's such a prevalent and a topic that needs to be talked about and it's absolutely I'm let down <laughs> yeah, exactly right um it comes up in so many different ways and I think it it speaks a lot to you know our whole campaign on eradicate hate and how a big part of the online hate we're seeing hate speech we're seeing is because people do forget that key aspect that there is still a human on the other side of whatever you're saying and uh, when you forget that I think is when a lot of problems start to occur uh, for our next question, 
I wanted to ask you all, how does your participation in online communities, this can be interest groups, forums, etc., facilitate personal growth and reflection in your daily life? Do they supplement or take away from your in-person relationships? So I can go first for this one. Um, I think off the bat, participating in online communities allows me to see different perspectives, especially those that I don't necessarily agree with. Um, it gives you the chance to engage with and like understand those perspectives and opinions in what I feel is like a space that feels somewhat less hostile than in person. Um, for example, if you really, if you kind of came across someone or a group even um, with opinions and values that you don't necessarily agree with and you feel like they infringe on your opinions and values, um, it can be a lot harder, I think, to engage in person. You're kind of given a very limited time to decide what you want to say, how you want to respond. Whereas online, um, there are a lot of moments where I kind of come across a comment or a post that I'm able to take my own time to comprehend those opinions that I disagree with. And that kind of gives me the time and the space to make my own understanding. And it does lead me to like a more enlightened idea of some really complex issues. So it's definitely, there have been a lot of times that I've changed my opinion or have had to revisit my own um, thoughts about a certain issue because of what I see online. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the big thing about this question is being able to understand different perspectives that are often um, outside of your own in-person network. You might probably not have heard of. Like I know I um, have this online network where um, I, I connected to them through a conference and we discussed the idea of vaccine hesitancy. And um, through that, I realized that there are so many different reasons for people not being able to um, take the vaccine due to medical conditions, for example. You know, this type of perspective doesn't naturally occur to you unless you actually um, put in the effort to communicate with others or communicate and research online. Um, so I, I don't know, I think just talking to others itself, um, engaging with other communities is such an eye-opening experience that will give you different perspectives and contribute to your self-growth because then that's something you could bring to not just your personal growth and but you could also bring it to your closer network, your in-person network and um, trans trans transition that on. So I think um, in my own in-person relationships, it has helped me to act more mindfully. It makes me feel that I'm more informed and that these um, type of opportunities are something that I can leverage myself with and also share with my closer network. Uh, yeah, I, I think I... I definitely agree with um, what Sakshin Iman said. And I, I, for me, this is going to sound really funny, but for me, um, Tumblr was really transformative in like my, <laughs> my, <laughs> my like social consciousness. Like, this is I so love funny, it. But, love but it. like when I, I was like, I was like, what, um, 13, I want to say when I joined Tumblr, I, I'm not on Tumblr anymore, but like from 13 to like, I want to say 17, 18, it, it became a place where like, I would learn all these new things and just like, not like I was never exposed to, to this like way of thinking before. Cause like I was living in Dubai, but on, on Tumblr, like I would meet people from the UK, from North America. And I was like, Oh, like what's going on there. And like, what are they thinking? And it was just a very like 
interesting way to be exposed to like something that was very much not something that I've been used to and like just seeing how Muslims in North America were living or what what kind of issues they were talking about and so I think it also made me really like intense about social justice at one point <laughs> like it would it would like because like you know when you learn something new you're like you become really intense about telling other people about it and then you forget like you forget the empathy portion of it you forget that you just learned something mm. new not everyone else is in that same boat and it also like um when I was that intense I had to like um when I grew up when I became more wise I want to say uh, <laughs> I just learned that like everyone is on a different path to learning uh, or unlearning in this case. Um, and so I, it really helped me also like soften my own opinions and my own experiences and realize that um, we need to be listening more than we're, than we're consuming. I mean, we need to be listening more than we're like preaching, right? Um, because oftentimes we, we think that we know best because uh, we learn something new, but that's just the initial high of learning something new and realizing that like everyone else is wrong. That's not how it works, right? Like it's a very, it's not a linear process. And, and it's just uh, interesting to see how like my own growth has been in terms of like interacting with people on Tumblr and then realizing that um, opinions change um, people's, people's progress and growth and my own progress and growth are not linear and you go back and forth a lot. So I think um, that was really like, instrumental in my growth I would say um so yeah it definitely has has both supplemented um my in-person relationships um has definitely also put a strain on my in-person relationships when I would become really um, intense about opinions I held um and realizing that I need to be more um understanding and just more empathetic and more understanding of where people are coming from because everyone comes from their own biases and everyone has their own biases and I have my own biases so just just knowing that. Miriam, I totally relate to that, um, that kind of growth from starting to understand more about activism to, for me, it was like, finally, it was a whole new world when I discovered, when I started learning a lot on these different social media platforms. I myself was a Tumblr girl as well. <laughs> and also, yes. yes, one time for the Tumblr girls. Yeah. <laughs> what, what, what is this like tum Tumblr to activist pipeline? Like, right? Yeah. Dude, there's I something was, about yeah. it, seriously. But yeah. yeah, so even starting at that from a young age, I, I totally felt the same like level of anger and just not mad at people around me, mad at the world, because it was like, I finally had the vocabulary um, and the accessibility to all these terms and ideas to finally put like words to feelings that I was feeling my whole life. So in that sense, like, I think when you finally begin to understand parts of yourself and understand parts of the world, you become so like ingrained in how this has affected you that you forget the empathy portion, like you mentioned, which is so critical. And now, like as I grow older and I have different approaches to talking about activism or talking about education, a big po portion of that is like building bridges with others. Because like you said, like everybody is on their own life path and they're all going to experience things or understand things at different times. And if you truly want to like help people on their paths and even help yourself on your own path, you have to be 
open to the fact that not everyone is going to meet you where you're at. And sometimes you have to meet other people where they're at in order for empathetic communication to flow and for progress to be made. So I really like how you brought that up. That's a super good point. Um, and this also kind of leads us into our next question. Um, we have reached the final level, guys. We are at level three, reflecting globally. Our question from level three, reflecting globally, is do global causes move you to voice your solidarity online or do you feel unaffected by what happens outside of where you live? Okay, so I think I'm gonna I'm gonna give it a shot um, because there are a lot of things, Akila, that you mentioned that like I I want to bring back up um, because I think you hit like you hit the nail on the head when you mentioned that uh, participating online, um, especially for I guess the racialized communities and and for racialized women uh, and for me at a certain point gave us like the terms to define and put into words what we were feeling our whole lives, the the very subtle difference. Um, that you felt when engaging in the world. And so once you kind of like develop that awareness, um, at least for me, there have been times where um, I was like unable to distance myself from those global causes because it it moves you. Like you see those things happen online and, you know, the blessing with the internet is that it, it allows us to connect with people that we may never have heard their struggle and never have realized how similar it is to what you're experiencing. Um, so obviously there are a lot of pros and cons in the online zeitgeist and the connections that we make from all over the world. But I think social media, and social activism in general has made it near impossible to feel unaffected by what happens outside of where you live because there's just so much online that I can point to in like a news article that I read I'll be like oh my god I have experienced this or wow this is happening this is so much is so much similar to this and this that happened and like it just it makes you feel a lot more connected um and once you do have that vocabulary and that language and that awareness of activism and of the way that society works. Um, it's just very, very difficult to distance yourself. Um, and it allows you the opportunity to voice your solidarity online, because what, what do you lose? You know, like if you wanted to participate in a specific, um, specific uh, organization in a specific movement, um, there's a difference between like going to a rally downtown versus just voicing your solidarity online. And we've seen the good that that can do. So it really like, I think that that influences a lot of people to join and just add their voice to uh, whatever is going on online, because it does help. Like there, there are literally no cons to voicing your solidarity online to help those who may be in a similar situation to you. I 100% agree. I think like it really comes down to um, how much you can relate to global issues and whether or not you see that as a priority. But I, I would say that for me, global issues are, I think global issues are our issues as well, because even if something is happening across the world, it comes down to your values and what you think is right. If you believe in gender equality, if you believe in all these type of um, pressing issues, then why not care about it, whether it's happening in another place in the world or whether it's happening here, you know? So I think it's about expanding our own horizons and trying our best to learn about these issues that we believe are worth fighting for. 
um, and it comes down to really um, exerting the minuscule of effort that can make a difference. Like we can be affected by these global causes. And um, personally, I'm always inclined to show my support at the bare minimum or share resources that could create just the slightest amount of difference because the best way we can really do this is through things like social media or an online presence or showing our support online. That's, I think, the, the bare minimum we can do to show our support and um, ensure that um, we are supporting these type of issues. But I think also sometimes it comes down to the idea of, you know, what are performative actions and whether or not people are actually doing things to make a sort of a difference rather than just doing it because it's a trend. And that's where I kind of like to draw the line and, um, you know, say that um, these type of things that we share on social media should be accurate. We need to do our research and be mindful of what we're sharing before we go on to even do this because um, I find like that certain trends of these are just very you know money ma money making schemes or like for um, the wrong reasons so again it, I just think that it's really really important that when we do um, do anything through our online presence just be mindful about what our actions are doing and whether they're actually contributing to something real. Um, I can go next. Um, I definitely like all the points that Iman made, like they're like exactly like that's exactly like how I feel about um, global causes. And to me, it's about if you do feel unaffected by them, um, there's a privilege there that you're not acknowledging, right? Um, there's a level of privilege there somewhere that you're not acknowledging, because that's the only way that you can be unaffected or unbothered by them. Um, and sometimes I ask myself when I'm distancing myself from global causes, I, I, cause I know there is this like, okay, if you're not engaging, you should definitely be taking care of your mental health. And that is extremely important for sure, because you don't want to experience burnout and then not do anything. And I definitely agree that that's, that's a fine line, but I would have to ask myself, am I doing this because I want to take care of my mental health? Or am I just using this as an excuse to not educate myself more about a cause? Right. Um, and am I just like being lazy about like not learning more or um, not, I'm taking the time to educate myself as well. Um, so asking that question was also important to me when I was engaging with causes online. Um, and I, I feel like a lot of us, I think it's great that like that we can agree that we feel bothered and we feel affected by these global causes, but there's like this like huge wave of like desensitization that's also coming out, right? People are just not people just don't seem to care after the trend of the movement passes, um, which is really unfortunate because, because the trends is what caught, like what Sachi mentioned is that that's where the performative activism is coming from, right? We're not, we're just doing it because everyone else is doing it. Um, and I was working on the, the Eradicate Hate Toolkit and what really stood out to me about online allyship was critically interrogating yourself when you're engaging in online allyship. So are you critically interrogating yourself about why you're posting something or why you're retweeting something or why you're sharing an opinion? Like, are you doing it to give yourself a pat on the back and saying, oh, my work is done? Or are you doing it because it's actually furthering a cause and you know exactly what the intent of that uh, movement is? So I think those are really important questions um, to ask yourself. Um, and just 
attend, like don't jump on the bandwagon, like find out what exactly who, who, what is the intent of whatever movement has started, right? And why are you, why are you taking part in it? And like Sachi also mentioned, it is the least that we can do, like showing solidarity online, posting a statement, retweeting something is the least that we can do. And it's not where our activism should end. It should, it's, it's, it's like where it should begin maybe. And, and it, sh it should only go up from there, I think. I completely agree with all the thoughts and ideas that have been brought up. And I especially like what you just said, Miriam, about having that critical self-interrogation with yourself. And I think a lot of the online activism um, is really important. And like you said, we can do, that's like the bare minimum that we can do. So you might as well do it. But also just taking a step back and having moments of reflection about why we care about the things that we care about and why we do what we do whether and examining whether what we're doing is performative what are we doing that is authentic and how we can show up not only online but in real life is a really important conversation to have with ourselves and it's a part of reflecting globally which is really cool um, thank you so much, everybody, for your participation and for bringing your true authentic selves to these conversations. Uh, this was wonderful. And thank you so much to all of you who are listening. Thank you for tuning in for part 30 of the Anti-Hate Conversation series. Please keep an eye out on our social media platforms for the Reflect to Connect game, which we'll be releasing soon, and we'll see you again very soon. Bye for now.